Now listen, if you're new here, uh, we're going through the book of Galatians this summer together as a faith family. We're now on the home stretch. We're beginning chapter 5 this morning. Hopefully, God willing, get through about half of it. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and begin to work your way to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we have some at the back by the sound booth. Uh, feel free to take one home. That's our gift uh, to you. And I do know that some of you are new, so let me, uh, let me back up and rewind just for a minute before we dive in uh, to chapter 5 together. Galatians is a letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, if you don't know his story, was, uh, Paul was a Jesus hater. I mean, he hated Christians. He hated the church. He hated Jesus uh, until one day he actually met Jesus. And he goes from persecuting, imprisoning, killing Christians to actually preaching, giving his life, preaching about this resurrected Jesus guy and planting churches all over the known world for these new Christians to grow in their faith. It's really a spectacular story. And he writes this letter to a group of churches in an area called Galatia, located in modern-day Turkey, for a really important reason, because what was happening is these false teachers also known as the Judaizers, had kind of snuck into these new churches with these new Christians once Paul had left to go preach the gospel in other places. They kind of snuck in and they began to teach these new Christians that they needed more than Jesus to be saved. And so they were teaching these brand new baby Christians, hey, listen, yeah, you, you do need faith in Jesus, but you also need to follow all of these religious rules and rituals and regulations over here. And so they're really teaching them just this distorted, kind of twisted view of the gospel that they needed Jesus, plus they needed the Jewish religion instead of just the simple gospel, which is what Paul had preached to them. Now listen, gospel distortions are not just something that happened 2,000 years ago in a place called Galatia. They happen even today. Throughout history, people have tended to distort the gospel in one of kind of two basic ways. The first way that people tend to distort the gospel is by legalism. That's what's going on in, in the Galatian churches, right? You, you begin to add things to the gospel. So it's like, yeah, you need Jesus, plus you need all this other stuff. And Paul is saying, no, no that, that is a false gospel. If you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel, and the other distortion that we see kind of throughout uh, history and even today, honestly, is uh, what we call license. So it's this, it's this idea that, hey, yeah, I guess if Jesus loves me and, and God's going to forgive me for all my sins, if Jesus died for all my sins, past, present, and future, then, man, I'm just, I'm going to do whatever I want in my life, right? I'm going to sleep with as many people as I can. I'm going to treat people in my life like garbage. I'm going to make my life all about me because Jesus is just going to forgive me anyway. That's, that's license. It's subtracting from the gospel, which demands our full allegiance to Jesus. In either case, in either distortion, Paul would argue that we lose the essence of the beautiful, simple gospel. And so maybe a, a healthy exercise for all of us this morning would simply be for us to ask this question. Are we believing either of those distortions right now in our lives? Legalism, like I, I can work my way to God by being a good little boy or girl, by following all the rules, or by license, by abusing the gospel and just kind of living the way I, I want, living like the devil himself. That's license. And Paul would say, in either case, you've trusted a false gospel. You've trusted a gospel that cannot, that will not save you. And Paul's going to expand on that in chapter 5. And so let's dive in. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, this is the Apostle Paul writing. 
He says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. The book of Galatians has been called the the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. The whole thing is about the simple gospel, about the Jesus plus nothing else gospel that offers to make us sons and daughters of the living God. It offers to move us from slavery into adoption as sons and daughters. And here again, Paul is driving home this idea of freedom in Jesus. We've been set free, Paul says. The question then becomes free, free from what? And Paul is saying that Jesus sets us free from religion. He sets us free from work-based approval, the struggle that all of us tend to have to, to be good enough, to do enough good in our lives, freedom from fear that, that we haven't done enough good, fear uh, of death, fear for, for what comes after death. Paul says Christ sets us free from all of that. He sets us free from the burden of religion. He also sets us free from fear itself. Uh, years ago, some of you guys know the story, uh, I worked in a, in a Muslim context for two and a half years. And m- many of my Muslim friends lived with just kind of like this deep-seated root of fear that just kind of enveloped their thoughts and their hearts because the reality is their God is a scary dude. That's why they do all the things that they do. That's why they have to pray five times a day. They get up when it's still dark and they do their first prayer and they do it five times every single day of their lives and they fast for a month every single year and they do all of these rituals and religious things to try to appease this God and they're never sure if it's enough. They still pray for Muhammad. They're not even sure that the founder of their religion is in yet. You talk about scary. You work and you work and you work and maybe it's not enough. Probably it isn't isn't enough. So it's kind of like this fear-based obedience. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us came from church context that left us in a very similar place. A lot of us came from church context that said, look, do this list of stuff over here and God is going to love you. But if you do this list of stuff over here, God is not going to love you. And Paul's looking at that system of belief, and he's saying, listen, you need to stop it. That's, that's not from God. In Jesus, you have been set free. So what have we been set free for? We know we've been set free from religion, from works-based approval from God, from fear. But what have we been set free for? And he says right there in verse 1, for freedom... Christ has set us free. He set us free so that we could live in freedom. See, when we finally get to the place in our lives where we wave the white flag of surrender to God, and we just admit, man, I, I, cannot, I cannot do this myself. I, I need a Savior. I need Jesus. When we get to that place of surrender, we experience real freedom. When my identity is secure, it's rooted in Jesus as an adopted son of God, I no longer have to fear. I no longer have to fear what people think of me. I no longer have to fear death, right? Because I've been purchased by the one who tasted death and then kicked the door of the grave down. See, following Jesus doesn't enslave us. Following Jesus actually gives us life and gives us freedom. That's the paradox of the gospel, isn't it? That in laying down our lives, in surrendering our lives, we actually find our lives. That in surrendering to the gospel, we actually, in return, get real freedom. And so Paul says, Galatian Christians, stand firm. 
Stand firm. Don't submit to the yoke of slavery again. Don't go back to trying to earn God's love for you. Stop going back again and again to dead religion that cannot save you. Now listen, this happens to us even as believers. See, for a lot of us, this is what our spiritual journey looks like. We hear the gospel. Maybe we've heard it a thousand times, but we finally hear it, and the Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts and our eyes, and we understand it. We believe it for the first time, and we, we want it. We gotta, we've got to have it, and we give our lives to Jesus, and it's awesome. And then for so many of us, we go right back to trying to earn God's love and acceptance. We go right back to checklist religion, right? As people, as, as human beings, we just tend to, to drift towards that. We try to work our way into God's love when we already have it in full because of Jesus. I'll give you a weird example uh, from, from my own life. When I was in college, and um, I wasn't walking with the Lord at all. In fact, I was doing everything I could to get away from God. Um, I was running about as far and fast as I could from, from God. I was pretty sure at the time that if I had died, I would have just busted the gates of hell wide open. And, uh, but you have to understand how crazy my thinking was. I would still, even in those years, I would mail in my tithe check to my church. <laughs> Running from God, didn't want anything to do with him, but I would take 10% of everything that I made, and I would send it back to my church. Like, how crazy, twisted, messed up is that, right? Like, I just, I think in my mind, looking back, it was just kind of some subconscious peace offering to God. Like, hey, God, I'm going to reject you. I'm going to ignore you. I don't want to live for you, but man, but maybe if I send you this $50 a month, you won't strike me dead. Right? It's just like this really sick, twisted way of trying to earn God's love and earn his favor. And Paul says, why would you go back to that? Why would you go back to that system? And see, I just guess I would bet that there are some of you here this morning who are like prisoners who have been set free. You've been set free from your jail cell and you walk out of that cell after years, maybe decades, and you smell the flowers and you feel the warm sun shining on your face and you look up and you see the, the blue skies and you, you hear the birds like singing and then you walk straight back into your prison cell and lock the door and sit down and Paul is saying, why would you do that? Jesus has set you free. Don't you understand? You are not a slave any longer to religion or performance-based acceptance. Just hoping that one day maybe God would accept you and love you. You've been set free, believer, in order to live free. Verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision. Now listen, when we see circumcision in the book of uh, Galatians and I, I think I've said the word circumcision more in this series than I have in my entire life put together. But when we, when we read circumcision in Galatians, really anywhere in the New Testament, Paul or whatever New Testament writer is really talking about Jewish religion. So in our context, when we read circumcision, when we hear circumcision, we should think religion, okay? We should think religion. So Paul says, uh, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, if you accept religion, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision or religion that he is obligated to keep the whole law. That is the whole Old Testament law, all 613 verses. Good luck with that. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves 
eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. See, these Galatians were Jesus plus in it. It was Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus religion. And Paul goes, no, no, you have to choose. You can choose Jesus or you can try to to earn your own salvation through religion or trying to be a good person or whatever it is. But listen, understand this. Your heart has one master. And so you must choose. You want to be religious? That's fine. But understand this. You better follow the whole law. All 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Because remember, the Old Testament was a pass or fail test. So you keep 600 out of the 613, that's a fail So Paul says, you really want that? You really want to hitch your wagon to that to try to get into eternity? Now, the reality is, I think, a lot of us really like religion. We like religion because we can control it, right? You you give me a list, and I can knock that thing out. How many list people do we have in here? Be honest. You like to make lists. You like to check them off. You feel really good about yourself, like half of you at least, right? We can knock that bad boy out. We can feel really good about ourselves in the process, right? I read my Bible today, check. Prayed today for 15 seconds, check. (laughs) Sent in my tithe check last month, check. Joined a community group, check. Served at the coffee bar once a month at church. God is really loving me now. Look at me down here, right? We always have like this little thought in our minds like, God, big guy, you're kind of looking at me on your team. I'm killing it down here. Look at this list and all these check marks. And Paul would say to us with our little checklist theology, be careful. Be careful with that. Now, why would Paul caution us against that, right? All that stuff is good, isn't it? We should pray. We should read our Bibles. We should give. We should serve. All all that stuff. But here's the danger. When we start trusting in all that stuff as a means to earn salvation or to earn God's approval or love, we're deceiving ourselves, Paul would say. In verse 6, he continues, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So he says, in Jesus, none of that religious stuff counts for anything anyway. It's only faith working through love. That's freedom. That's the gospel of Jesus. See, following, listen, following G, you've got to understand, following Jesus is not a religion of do's and don'ts. It is a relationship driven by love. See, I obey Jesus. I want to obey Jesus, not because I'm afraid that he won't love me if I don't obey him. I want to obey him because I love him. I want to follow his his teachings. I want to follow his example. I want to know him better through his word, through prayer. Like I, I want to live in community with other believers. I want to give generously to advance his, his kingdom. I mean, I want to do those things, not to earn his love, but because I already have his love in full. I'll give you an example to kind of illustrate. This is a scenario that plays out in our home sometimes. Um, but after those of you who have small kids at home, you can relate to this. After a long day of work, oftentimes Cheryl's, you know, she's at home with a three and, and she's worn out and Maybe I've had a long day of, of work and ministry and, and we get home and we're with the kids and we're making dinner and we're getting our PJs on and brushing our teeth and get them in bed. And so you're just going, 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 going. And then we finally get them in bed and we typically have like an hour, right? Like an hour and a half maybe to relax. And those moments of peace and quiet are precious. Am I right, parents? It's like 
It's like gold, right? You'd give anything. And occasionally, Cheryl will look over at me just as I settle into my chair and I get super comfortable, man, and I'm getting into a book that I love or enjoy or I'm watching some documentary. And she'll say in her sweet little voice, honey, would you get up and make me some hot tea? (laughs) Or she'll say, babe, my feet really hurt. Could you rub my feet? And most of the time, listen, I'm not batting 100% on this. I'm not going to lie. But most of the time, I get up out of my comfy chair, and I get her, I make her some tea, or I rub her feet. Why would I do that? Because I love her. I don't do it from a place of guilt or shame or fear. Like, man, if I don't do this, she's going to snap, man. She's going to start throwing stuff, and the neighbors are going to call the cops again. Wake up the kids. This is going to be terrible. I'm not scared. I promise. I'm not feeling guilty. None of that. I do it because I love her. Because I love her. Now, listen, if the dude across the street sends me a text at 10 p.m. and he says, honey, will you come make me some tea? I rub my feet. I may go over there, but it's going to be to slash his tires, right? (laughs) If you want that, you better text before 8 p.m. But for Cheryl... But for Cheryl, I do it because I have a relationship with her that is built and driven by love. So here's the first truth this morning. If you're a note taker, write this down. Faith in Jesus is a relationship rooted in love. We have to get that. It is not a religion. It is not a system of works-based approval. It is a relationship rooted in love. Understand this, believer. That is what God wants from you. That is what God requires from you. See, obedience always follows love. See, a lot of us get it kind of reversed. We get it twisted. We think, man, once I start obeying God, then he'll love me. And God says, no, 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 no. Because I have loved you, you've been set free to obey me. See, so Paul is saying, look, you can have religion Or you can have a relationship, but you can't have both. You can have fear, or you can have faith working itself out through love. But listen, this idea that many of us have, that we're just going to kind of live our lives, and we're going to do what we want, and we're going to show up here for an hour on Sunday morning, just kind of sprinkle some Jesus dust on our lives, and hope that that's enough, that's a fool's game. That is so foolish. When Jesus stands there offering you a relationship rooted in love with the creator of this universe. That's like, that's like going for a, a Slim Jim when you have a filet mignon over here. <laughs> makes absolutely no sense. Paul's like, why are you doing this? This makes no sense, Galatians. Verse 7, he says, you were running well. You were running well. You are doing so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So Paul says, look, you guys were running so well. You guys were believing the simple gospel. You were living in the freedom that Jesus purchased for you. Who stopped you from that? That's not, that's not from God. And then, then Paul uses an analogy that you bakers can appreciate. He says, a little leaven, a little yeast, it leavens the whole lump. Now, uh, Cheryl, just in the last couple of months, has started making our bread at home. And it's, it's amazing. Just so you know, homemade bread is like 100 times better than store-bought bread. It's amazing stuff. 
But you know, she, she gets this little lump of dough and she puts the stuff in there. Like an hour later, it's like 10 times the size it was. It's just amazing like how it expands and how it grows. And Paul is saying, listen, that's the danger of a little bit of false teaching. That's the danger of just a little bit of heresy. Just a little bit of false gospel at the end of the day, Paul would say, is still a false gospel. Look, if your doctor were to, were to say to you after an exam, hey, look, I got bad news. The bad news is you have cancer, but the good news is 99% of your body is cancer-free, so go home and don't worry about it. What would you think? You'd be thinking, I need a new doctor, and you'd be right. You'd be thinking, I need, you know, I need to ruthlessly cut this cancer out of my body because even just a little bit will eventually spread to the rest of my body, and it will kill me. See, that was the danger of false teaching back in Galatia. That's the danger of false teaching today with kind of popular false gospels like the prosperity gospel, right? Gospels that sound almost right. I mean, they talk about God. Maybe occasionally they'll even, they'll even mention a Bible and then twist a Bible verse or they might even mention Jesus. But the, here's what they do. They twist the message and make it all about you. Amen. God exists to serve you. God exists to make you happy, healthy, and wealthy. And if you're not happy, healthy, and wealthy, it's because you just don't have enough faith. And listen to me, it's just enough poison mixed in with the truth to kill you. Life and hope is found in Jesus plus nothing else. He is enough. He is the pathway, the gateway to freedom. Verse 11, Paul says, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. See, there were apparently those among the false teachers who were accusing Paul of still preaching religion. So they were saying, hey, yeah, Paul said it was all Jesus, but um, he, he really is in agreement with us now. That you have to have Jesus, plus you have to follow all these other religious rules over here. And Paul says, that is a lie. Well, says, look, if I, if I were preaching that you could earn your way to God by following a list of religious rules or by just being a good person, why am I being persecuted? Like that, that message isn't offensive. The message that you can just kind of earn your way to God by keeping some rules or by being a good person, like nobody beats you up for that message. That's a crowd pleaser. People want to hear that. Paul says, no, I'm being beaten. I'm being stoned. I'm being imprisoned because I'm preaching that you cannot be good enough. You cannot earn your way to God. You cannot be a good enough person. I'm preaching that you, listen, you are so messed up to the core of your being that you need somebody to rescue you from you. You need somebody to pay the penalty for your rebellion. And that person, Paul would say, is Jesus Christ. You're so messed up, you can't even save yourself. That's the message of the gospel. And I will not, Paul says, I will not remove the offense of the cross. And that's the second point this morning. The cross crushes our pride. It obliterates our pride. And here's why. Because the blood and the gore of that cross is a reminder to us of just how wicked our hearts were and how deep our sin ran. That it required that level of sacrifice from God himself to buy us back from slavery that we chose, by the way. The cross is offensive. The cross says, this is how dirty you were. 
This is how depraved you were, that this is what it took. And believer, we should never attempt to remove the offense of the cross. Now listen, there are a lot of churches out there, I know, because I watch them on TV. I'm a pastor, I'm weird like that, so I watch this stuff on TV and on the radio. Listen, there are a lot of churches out there now that will never, not once, make mention of the cross. Amen. They won't do it. They will never, not once, make mention of the blood or of sin or of eternal separation from God. Because listen, it's not a good church growth strategy. And Paul says, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't remove the offense of the cross because, listen, this is important, because it is the gateway to freedom. I cannot remove it. So, friend, listen, when you come here to New Life, you will hear about the cross. We will sing about the cross. We will teach about the blood. You will hear how hopelessly messed up you are. And that your only hope, that my only hope, is that blood-soaked cross of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, it will be offensive to some, but it will also breathe life into those who believe. Amen. Amen. And then we go to verse 12. And I've been thinking a lot of this week about how I should teach this verse. And here's, listen, here's the problem with teaching through a book of the Bible. You have to teach very uncomfortable things. Right, So if you were just preaching topically, like you would never grab verse 12 and say, let me build a message around this. <laughs> Half the church will never be back, but I'm going to choose this one to preach about. So here goes. Now my ca caveat is that, that Paul wrote this, not me. And so don't, please don't send me any emails this week. I didn't, I didn't write it. Verse 12, here we go. I wish those who unsettle you, the false teachers, the Judaizers, would emasculate themselves. Yes, that's really in the Bible. You cannot make this stuff up. The Bible, if nothing else, is not boring. So people who say to me the Bible is boring, I know they've never actually read the Bible because this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, those who deceive you, those who manipulate you, those who distort the gospel for their personal gain, I wish they would just emasculate themselves. Right? If they think God will, will love you for cutting a little bit off, I wish they would just go all the way, just castrate themselves. Paul said, some of you are like pearl clutching in your hearts right now. Like, I cannot believe he just, it's in the Bible. Paul is feeling just a little bit aggressive in verse 12. It seems as if he may have missed the sensitivity class in seminary. Maybe he just needed a hug, having a bad morning. But in any case, this is what, this is what Paul's doing. He is communicating the seriousness of not polluting the beautiful, simple gospel. And he's using provocative language to highlight just the, the hugeness of not messing with the, the one thing, the only thing that can rescue us from ourselves and our own sin. So Paul's saying, don't mess, with, don't mess with the gospel. Don't mess with the gospel. And if you do, just go ahead and castrate yourself. That's point number three. Just go ahead. Just kidding. Paul's, <laughs> Paul, Paul's words, not mine. Okay? Again, don't, please don't email me. Let's move on before I get in trouble. Verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so in this passage, as part of his letter, Paul switches to the other common distortion of the gospel here. He says, listen, don't, 
Don't use your freedom in Jesus as an opportunity for the flesh or for sin. Instead, use, use your freedom, the freedom that Jesus purchased for you, to love and serve one another. Do you want to know if you really love Jesus this morning? See, I think a lot of us really kind of like struggle with that because some of us are religious and we kind of equate that with loving God, with loving Jesus. And those two things are not the same. Religion and relationship are not the same. So if you want to know if you really love Jesus this morning, I think the kind of the question that Paul would pose if he were standing up here right now is this. Do you love other people well? Do you love other people well? And Paul even quotes Jesus here. Right? You guys remember the story in the Gospels where a guy comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, hey, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But there's a second one that kind of goes along with it. It's love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in those. All 613 laws, Jesus would say, are there to drive you to love God with everything that you have and to love other people well. Now listen, there are a lot of people who know the right doctrinal answers. There are a lot of people that know the right theological answers. They know scripture. They can quote it. They know the Sunday school stuff. They are religious people who have no love for other people. Stone-cold hearts. Hearts that know religion but know nothing of a heart being transformed by the love of Jesus. So here's our third and final point, and then we'll start to land the plane. If you love God, you love people. It's that simple. If you love God, you love people. So if you were to say to me, hey, Chris, like I'm a Christian, man. I love God, but I don't like anybody. I hate people. I don't care if they go to hell. Paul would say, you don't know God. Right? A, a heart that is transformed by the gospel bleeds over into love for one another. Christianity is not about rituals. It is not about circumcision. It is not about religion. It is about experiencing the love of God, this epic love, and allowing that love to flow through us to other people so that they can also know that same God who set us free. Listen, Christian, you have been set free. Live in that freedom. Love God. Love other people well in that freedom. Let me pray for us as the band comes and then we'll sing. Father, thank you for your love. Father, thank you for freedom. Thank you for sending Jesus on a rescue mission for us as messed up as we were, as messed up as we still are. You sent Jesus for us. Father, for the person here who's perhaps still in slavery, they're a slave instead of a son or a daughter. God, for the one who's here and they're, they're trying to make it by, by doing enough, by following enough rules, by trying to be a good person, whatever that means in their mind, God, would you just show them that they can become a son, they can become a daughter through simple faith in Jesus, by believing in Jesus, by believing that he is who he said he was, by turning from their sin, turning to you and starting a dynamic relationship with you that gives life and it gives freedom. Father, for those of us in the room this morning, already know you we've been adopted already as sons and daughters god would you would you help us to live in that freedom 
God, help us to stop walking back into that old prison cell that you freed us from. God, help us to live free. Help us to love you fully with everything that we have. And help us to love other people well. All for the glory of Jesus. It's in that beautiful name that we ask and we pray. Amen. Church, will you stand with me as we sing?